Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch Blackpool. For more information, please visit ccblackpool.co.uk. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you today. Shame it can't be in person, but nevertheless, it's wonderful to be with you and share God's word with you. I've chosen to speak on Romans 12, verses 9 to 21 titled my talk, Love Must Be Sincere. So before I read the passage, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you are with us today. Lord, I thank you that in this time of lockdown, you are God, you are alive, you are living, you are active, and you are doing stuff. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us from your word today. You would open our hearts to hear your word and May we act upon it by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read the passage. If you have your Bibles with you, that would be amazing. If you get those open or on your phone or your, or your, your iPad or whatever you use. Um, reading from Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 to 21. I'm reading from the New International Version. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do you know, one of my favourite TV shows is The Great British Bake Off. I don't know if you're, you're a fan I find it compelling viewing because I like the quirkiness of many of the bakers who are there, mainly because of the first challenge, the signature dish challenge, a chance for the bakers to put their own twist on a classic bake. For many, it often feels like a random list of ingredients put together, but somehow a beautiful and tasty offering is delivered. And this passage in Romans 12 is quite similar. Theologian John Stott calls this passage ingredients for the Apostles' recipe for love, with 13 exhortations or ingredients just in the first four verses to create a beautiful and tasty offering, love. So what I want to do with our time together this morning is not to try and take each one in turn, you may never get lunch, or tea, but focus on the first four words of verse nine. Love must be sincere. God's challenged me massively 
in the last weeks from this verse. I believe God has something to say to all of us today through it. In fact, I think getting our hearts and heads around this, I believe, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, our relationships, our church communities and our lives in the world will be transformed. So let's look at what we mean by love. Well, love is a word much overused, I would say. In fact, I'm probably guilty of overusing the word myself. I love cake. I love pizza. I love the church. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love the colour on the wall behind me. I love my job. You get it. I love swords, which you can hopefully see from the video too. You get it, don't you? But what does that actually mean when I use the word love in those contexts? What do I mean? Well, actually, I'm using it without distinction. And when, I, when we use the word love without any distinction, it becomes intangible, perhaps a little bit meaningless. Interestingly, love is defined in the dictionary as a noun, a naming word, an intense feeling of deep affection. But loving my wife is not the same as loving pizza. I hope all you husbands out there agree with me. Loving my wife means I care about her, want the best for her, I take a bullet for her, it means being there for her. I don't want the best for pizza, I just want to eat it, then forget about it. I wouldn't take a bullet for pizza, if someone wants to shoot one that's okay, a little weird, but okay. The Bible defines the love Paul writes about in Romans 12 verse 9 much more effectively. In fact, it's a verb, a doing word, not a noun. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 6 puts it like this. Well, that's Paul writing, by the way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's what love does. As well as being what love is, it's what love does. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Okay. Love is not easily angered. Love rejoices with the truth. The word Paul is using here is agape or unconditional love. There are different words for love in, in, the, in, in, in the original Greek here. And this is the one Paul is using here, agape. He's making a distinction. He's using the word un, uh, for unconditional love. But before we go into this verse, in verse uh, verse 9, um, there are two important pieces of contextual information that we need in order to best understand it. The first can be found in verses 3 to 8, which are all about the body of Christ, the church. Although in my Bible, and maybe yours, there's a gap and a heading, love in action, before verse 9, it just follows on, really. Verses 9 to 13 are talking about how we should love in the body of Christ, how we should love fellow Christians, fellow believers. So let's read it, and perhaps as I read it, consider is this how the body of Christ, in your experience, loves one another? Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Wow, that's all doing, isn't it? That's all really relevant for our time of COVID today and in lockdown. This is love in action. Love as a verb, not just an intangible feeling of affection, but something much stronger, something more that you can really grasp a hold of. Another huge challenge of this passage, perhaps for another sermon, maybe not from me, is verses 14 to 16 about how we love non-believers and 17 to 21, how we love our enemies. The other piece of helpful context is found at the start of Romans 12 and verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul writes, don't be like the world, where love is often conditional. Instead, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So how do we do that? By trying harder? Looking to within ourselves, I must do better. I must be better. I must love better. No, the world says we look inside ourselves. Plenty of manuals to search for yourself. Self-actualization. The Bible says we look to Jesus. We look outside of ourselves. The Holy Spirit, we ask him to fill us. To help us, we can't be transformed on our own. We might be able to make, you know, we can make some good choices now and again. But actually, it's the Holy Spirit. We're transformed by the power of the Spirit. So it is in this context of being transformed, being different to the world's values, and building community within the body of Christ, that we come to verse 9. So why, Adrian? Why is this so important? Why are you telling us all of this? Well, as children of God, when the world looks at us, should be able to tell who our father is. I know pre-lockdown, pre possibly once or twice, my daughter Kezia has come down to Blackpool with me to help me in some, some worship. People say, she looks like me, poor kid. She shares my sense of humour. People see us together and know we're father and daughter. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So if God is love, if he is our father, he should be seen in us. We should be carrying that love with us so that we can show people the father. So why is it so important that it's sincere? Love must be sincere. Surely it's all right just to show, show a bit of love and we'll get away with it. Well, agape love must be sincere. The word sincere is an interesting one. It's thought to come from the Latin meaning without wax. I can see you look by this. However, it's a really important image, something that centuries back in Rome, marble workers would cover imperfections in the stone with wax if a bit broke off. So they would replace that bit, the bit that's fallen off, the bit of marble that's accidentally like come, come adrift or they've chipped away at it accidentally. They would get some wax and make the new bit out of wax. It's much cheaper, much more easier to come by, much easier to then fix on. So if a marble statuette or something in, in the markets was being, had the label Sancera, sincere, was fully genuine. Fully marble, nothing hidden, no wax to cover up any damage or imperfection. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 9, if we look at it in the King James Version, 
gives us a slightly different translation, but with the same meaning. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's a real emotive word, isn't it? Real emotive word. At the time Paul is writing, his, his, his readers would have got this reference, they'd have understood it because hypocrites were actors, stage players in, in Greek theatre, people playing a part. The readers here would have got that, they'd have understood what that completely meant straight away. Because actors in ancient Greek theatre apparently wore masks, large masks for the character they were playing. So they interpreted the story from underneath their masks. The mask wouldn't change shape. It would look the same, but what's going on underneath would be very different. The outward behaviour was very different from the inner heart. And that's what hypocrisy is. The outward behaviour is very different from the inner heart. We don't like the word hypocrisy, do we? It's not a word that we as Christians are comfortable with. And um, probably because we're often accused of it, I think. Christians tend to be accused of hypocrisy. A church leader from Calvary Church, California, Bruce Zachary, in response to the accusation, the church is full of hypocrites, replied, no, it isn't. There's still some empty seats here. It's not full of hypocrites. His point is that we're all hypocrites. There are times when we all pretend to be something where we're not. Why is this such a big deal, though? Why does it matter what it looks like, surely, and why does it matter what's inside? Surely it's our behaviour that's important. Why did Jesus get so angry about it is the first question that I would ask there. Every time you look in the New Testament and you see Jesus getting angry, it's usually with Pharisees who are, believe, who are saying one thing and living something completely different. If you read Matthew chapter 23, and we'll come back to that um, a, a little bit later on in this preach. And actually, if, if you please do read it in your own time, it's quite a, quite a vivid, quite a, uh, quite a challenging passage. Um, you can imagine Jesus finishing up, doing a mic drop and leaving and let everyone go. Because they're so stunned by what he's saying. Exit stage left. <clears throat> So, okay, Jesus got angry about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a word we as Christians don't like because we often get it leveled at us and it hurts a bit, doesn't it? So why does Paul start our passage with it? Love must be without hypocrisy. What is the actual danger of it? What? Why? I don't, you know, why is it so dangerous to us? Well, preacher and writer John Piper provides us with two helpful manifestations of hypocrisy, what it looks like. And this, I think, helps us understand why it can be so dangerous for the church and relationships. The first is linked to what I've already said. Hypocrisy makes the outside look better than the inside. Jesus, as I've already mentioned, had a lot to say on this. In fact, as I've said again already, it's what Jesus got angry about. Pretty much every time he got angry at the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, which I mentioned earlier, where Jesus gives seven woe to yous to the Pharisees, it's usually woe to you, you hypocrites. I think one of the, mo one of the ones that's most familiar in there is woe to you, teachers of the Lord and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs 
which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. That is harsh, isn't it? That is harsh. How would you feel if Jesus came up and said that to you? I think there have been occasions where Jesus could well have said that to me. I wonder how many of us put on our church demeanour on a Sunday or for small group. How many of us, and I've done it many a time, have turned up to church having had a chaotic morning, rows, words that shouldn't have been uttered or screamed, doors slammed and upon entering church, the classic greeting at the door, how are you? Oh, fine, great, marvellous, ruffling the kid's hair, holding the wife's hand, all fabulous. Hands raised in worship to show how wonderful and spiritual you are. I don't hear what I'm not saying. Maybe the fact you've made it to church amidst the chaos is a victory. Maybe you weren't going to go because you couldn't face it, but you decided, no, you need to go and worship God in, 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 as corporate with other Christians. And so you fall on your knees in worship and you pray with David. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, creating me a pure heart, O God. So that psalm says that's true and proper worship. That's the antidote to hypocrisy. That's being authentic. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church if you've had a row with your wife in this Sunday. I don't think many of us would turn up. What I'm saying is don't be unreal when you get there don't pretend everything's great you might say yeah, i've had a tough morning actually but i just want to worship god brilliant do you know pastor and teacher jeff lucas tells a wonderful story along these lines that makes me laugh every time i hear it so i feel i have to tell it and it's relevant my paraphrase goes something like this it was a sunday morning as usual it was a stress getting to church and the pastor and his wife were coming for lunch It'd have been frantic. The kids had been scrubbed. Kitchen and dining room scrubbed. The roast kitchen scrubbed. Roast chicken, sorry, scrubbed. Roast kitchen. Best dinner service out. Best gear on. Tie smart. Church managed well. No rounds. No problem. Little Johnny, age six, had behaved himself. Back home. Frantic final prep. Doorbell rings. <laughs> Let calm descend. Pastor and his wife walk in as you open the door with a smile with a coat hanger in your mouth. Lead them into the dining room. Dinner on's on the table in your best serving china. Dad's keen to show what a Christian family they are. <clears throat> right, Johnny, please would you say grace? Johnny's not playing ball. No. A little scamp. Dad ruffles Johnny's hair. Come on, Johnny, say grace for us. No. Slight edge to Dad's voice this time. Johnny, just say grace. No. Oh, for goodness sake, Johnny, just see what Debbie said at breakfast this morning. Johnny stands, closes his eyes and hands in an optimal prayer pose and intones, oh God, we've got those awful people coming for lunch. I love that. It's what it does, it exposes the utter hypocrisy of the situation, it exposes that pretense. 
You know, my granddad was a wonderful man of God. Were he alive today, he'd be 111 years old. He lived through two world wars, a Spanish flu uh, pandemic. He loved Jesus. At his funeral, one of his fellow elders of the Brethren Gospel Hall they'd founded said, he was the same at church as he was at home, as he was at work, as he was with his family. Second only to Paul's fought the fight, finished the race, kept the faith. That's what I'm aiming for at my funeral. There's no hypocrisy there. It's a real authentic life lived. Didn't pretend to be anything other than he wasn't. Hypocrisy also calls attention to the flaws of others to hide your own. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 4 to 5, Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Why we do this? We do, don't we? I do it. Probably so we don't have to deal with our own sin, with our own issues. It's a lot easier, sadly, to draw attention to someone else's sin, someone else's wrongdoing. It's easy to point the finger, isn't it? Than to look at your own. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, the incident with the woman caught in adultery, that him that is without sin cast the first stone. Nobody did. Wonder why, because they'd all sinned. Bible says all have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Sure, of the glory of God. And you know, Jesus said, talking of Satan in John 10 10, the thief, referring to Satan there, comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. The great part of that verse is he says, But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But do you know, this kind of hypocrisy steal, st steals, kills, and destroys the church community. When we seek to pick on the flaws of our brothers and sisters in church in order to avoid dealing with our own sin, when we judge others, when we, when we, you know, even in our minds, um, we cause division in the church. Seeds of malice, slander are sown. 1 Peter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Are we looking to build one another up in the body of Christ? Are we looking to encourage one another, to support one another? Are we looking to tear each other down so we don't have to deal with our own sin and our own issues? You know, we also do this because there's something in the human heart that craves the approval of others. What does Jesus say? Matthew 6, back to the Sermon on the Mount. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. There's something in the human heart that looks for the approval of others. What does this look like for us? I wonder, are we making sure that we're being watched as we put loads of bags into the food bank? How many people have I told I'm preaching today so they may think me holy and spiritual? This is a heart issue, folks, a real heart issue. And it's all about our motivation. So what is my motivation? If I have told people at my small group that I'm preaching today, have I asked them because I want them to think me great? Or have I asked them because I'm quite you know, challenged by the passage and I want them to pray for me that I would actually be able to speak God's word effectively? Right, Adrian, great. So how on earth do I sort this out? My answer would be firstly, cry out to God and ask his spirit to change you. Lord, make it so. Holy Spirit, fill me because I leak. I need to keep being filled. We have to look for Jesus. This craving for esteem, for significance, for worth, 
is not met by hypocrisy. It's not met, met by looking good, by putting on a veneer. Secondly, do you know who you are in Christ? 1 John 3, verse 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us. We can be called children of God. One of the most powerful prayers in the Bible, I think, is in Ephesians chapter 3. And I think it helps us here. And I would, argue, I would urge you to, as you, you know, after today, pray this for your family, for your leaders, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul writes in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 uh, to 19, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Great. Simple, isn't it? I wish being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and established in love is what Paul writes. Are we rooted? Do our roots go deep down into the grace and love of God, into the cross of Christ, into our relationship with him? You know, Romans 12, verse 2, we've talked about it already, to be transformed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. The context for my, for my talk today. Paul uses a particular Greek tense, which when he writes be transformed, it means keep on being. We have to keep on being transformed. Keep on asking the Spirit to fill us. Keep on renewing our minds. How do we do that? Reading the words and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that prompts us to action out of our love for him. John Piper says this, and here I'm coming into land. The whole issue of let love be without hypocrisy or love must be sincere is, do you know Jesus well and do you love him much? Are your roots deep into the cross and into his grace? He goes on to say, are we satisfied enough with Jesus? Not can we screw up enough moral wherewithal to pull off the display. Are we satisfied enough with Jesus? Not can we screw up enough moral wherewithal to pull off the display. Loving with hypocrisy is no love at all. That's why Paul writes, let love be without hypocrisy. We're called to love one another as Christ has loved us. And we know that that's a self-sacrificial love. Romans 5a, and here I'll finish. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I want to thank you that you are such an amazing God. I thank you that you are, you are great. And I thank you that you were willing to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. You demonstrated your love for us in a self-sacrificial way. Lord, fill us with your spirit today that our love for one another may be sincere maybe without hypocrisy. Lord, lead us into authenticity by the inspiration of your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, downloads and podcasts, please visit ccblackpool.com.